Hey everybody, welcome back to Green Milk and Lane's newest Patreon episode. I am thrilled to be joined by my friend Tristan Palmgren today. Uh, Tristan, how are you? Howdy, howdy, howdy. I am getting over a cold, so apologize, uh, uh, apologies if my voice sounds a little gravelly, but I am mostly here and mostly intact. <laughs> well, I appreciate you being here, even uh, post-cold. Uh, Tristan, for regular listeners of the podcast, will be uh, very familiar. He's, uh, excuse me, they have been on the show a number of times, uh, a writer of multiple books for Aconite, uh, all of which I have read and love, the most recent being uh, Squirrel Girl Universe, uh, as well as the books featuring, Do featuring Domino and Outlaw and Elixir and Anole. Uh Tristan, tell us a little bit about your work and career uh, and your love of the X-Men, if you want to go into that space. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I've... Um, it have been writing most of my life, but published relatively recently, although now that I think about it, that was four years ago. Um, so I'm already kind of aging into the uh, aging into dust. Um, <laughs> but yes, my first book, uh, Quietus is independent sci fi um, uh, published by angry robot books set during the Black Death, um, followed that same uh, that same year in 2018, uh, by its sequel Terminus. After that, I also started writing tie-in fiction for Aconite Books and launched myself into the Marvel Universe Start with, um, with the characters that you've already mentioned, um, with Domino, with Outlaw, um, with Elixir and Anol, and most recently, my favorite, uh, Squirrel Girl. You, um, I lobbied for Squirrel Girl. <laughs> As you should, you're great. Every one of your books has, and I've, I haven't read Quietus, but every one of your Aconite books feels so independent and original from each other. Domino is set in multiple time periods. Uh, Outlaw is a very different character uh, with a very different journey. Uh, the Elixir and Anul stuff, they are in an underwater base fighting vampires. And finally, Squirrel Girl, with her entire supporting cast, uh, who I love all of them, but clearly your shining favorite is Brain Drain. Are, are often Absolutely. <laughs> Brain Drain is a bizarre World War II uh, Nazi brain in a jar that Squirrel Girl has reprogrammed to be a... How, how would you describe Brain Drain post-reprogramming? <laughs> He is uh, an existentialist philosopher um, battling depression, but just out doing his best to be a hero. It's a brain in a jar on a robot body. Uh, it's, he's wonderful. Your, your book is delightful. How has it been received now that it's been out for a little while? Oh, right. um, very well. I've, I've, been, I've been pleased with it. It's so fun. They are uh, flying around in space with an overly logical and very depressed mad thinker in a non-binary whale. It's wonderful. <laughs> Probably the, um, the, the, the part that, that warmed my heart the most was uh, that Ryan North had kind things to say about it. So that was, ah. that, that meant a lot. Ryan North is going to be writing Fantastic Four soon, and I'm enormously excited uh, yes. for, for that reason. He was also the uh, the uh, the writer for the past uh, fifty issues of the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl comic. Yeah, when I went to FlameCon recently, I got to meet uh, Derek Charm, who was one of the artists on the book, and that was enormously mm -hmm. fun. I had no idea Derek was queer until I I met them. Uh, it was it was really fun to be there. When uh, Tristan and I were initially talking about what character we might like to examine, the criteria being either obscure villains or more supporting characters. 
I, it didn't even occur to me to toss out Johnny D at you. That would have been perfect. Uh, Johnny D being the, uh, uh, the villain from your uh, outlaw book. Uh, but we settled on the character Wallflower, who is a character from the new Mutants uh, second volume and the new X-Men run. Uh, a supporting character who's briefly a member of the X-Men before having a very, very tragic ending. And you referenced this character in your Elixir book, uh, but she's not used well, or or excuse, she's not used really. She's kind of behind the scenes. Uh, she what, made you, there, yeah. what made you interested in Wallflower as a character? Uh, that I came to the X-Men older than a lot of other readers. And Wallflower was the first time that the premise of the X-Men really grabbed me in the same way that I think a lot of the other X-Men might have uh, might have um, uh, grabbed me as a kid. Um, but the idea that you, you don't just have superpowers, it's not just a power fantasy, but it's also a story about alienation and isolation and kind of hating what you are and gradually coming to terms with that. Um, wallflowers, um, wall, wall, wallflowers, um, wallflowers powers are, she has pheromones that can affect the, um, the emotional state of the people around her, whether she consciously wants to or not. And that is, uh, hmm, how to phrase this? I mean, as an adult coming to something like the X-Men, it's it's easier to say like, oh yeah, I wouldn't have any problem with mutants. Like there's this guy who shoots lasers out of his out of his eyes. I could be roommates with that person, no problem. Everybody who doesn't like that is <laughs> must be some kind of bigot. Um, or there's like there's somebody who's furry and does a lot of gymnastics. That's fine. They um they sound cool, but that um like the ability, it, it, and I don't think a wallflower would even think of it as an ability. Um, the fact that her presence affects people around her on a deep, on a deeply emotional level, whether she means to or not, um, is terrifying. Um, I've, it, it's, it's about the, even though, I mean, it does give her power, but it's about the far, it's, at the same time, it's about the farthest thing from a power fantasy I can, I can ever imagine. Um, it's the, we, there, there are other mutants who like, who shy away from her. And I don't know that I can say that they're, that they're wrong to. She eventually does get like a roommate, but a roommate with specific powers, um, specific powers over wind who can, uh, who can, Kind of clear the air around herself and keep and uh, keep those pheromones away so that she's not unwittingly affected by anybody around her, and that struck such a the first time I read it, it such struck such a deep adult fear into me that it was it was the first time that I think I really got the X Men and what makes what makes them so different and distinct and gripping than uh, than uh, than um, than other superhero comics. I love hearing how people relate to particular characters. And we're covering all sorts of ground on the Patreon. For example, the two episodes prior to yours feature the Ungarai demons and then Obnoxio the Clown, which are, <laughs> it's about as disparate as you can get. The one after this will be Jean Grey's parents uh, as, we'll, as we'll get into those. Wallflower comes into uh, the second volume of, of the New Mutants. There is the initial New Mutants, which are the teenage heroes that Professor uh, X forms when the X-Men are believed dead, that's Cannonball and Sunspot and the rest that we love so much. 
And then there was Generation X in the late 90s. In, uh, in the early 2000s, after Generation X is done, they then uh, announce a new team. And this is a book that feels very, um, I don't even know the right comparison. It's, it's a well-fleshed out cast. There is a school full of mutants. It's one of the few times in the X-Men history when it actually feels like a school, where there's a lot of characters, not all of them very well-developed, a lot of them background, like Trance and Rubbermaid and a bunch of others. Uh, and a lot of characters that were introduced during this time were background at first, like Pixie and Anol, and then they later get more spotlight. Wallflower is one of the six characters that is kind of featured in this run uh, in 2003 by Nunzio De Filippis and uh, Christina Ware. She is blonde, blue-eyed, kind of gorgeous girl. She's 15 years old, and she comes from a trauma background. She has these powers she can't control. The word wallflower obviously means like someone who's fading into the background. I automatically think of the uh, the Jacob Dylan band, uh, the Wallflowers from the 90s that I used to listen to. I had a huge crush on Jacob Dylan mm -hmm. growing up. <laughs> I don't think that is present anymore. I haven't heard that band in 20 years. Uh, are you familiar with the Wallflowers? I'm, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I, 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 when it when it when it comes to music, I feel like an alien who's been placed on Earth. Sometimes this is very high school. Like dances in my high school cafeteria. They had that song like uh, "One Headlight" that was big in the in the late '90s. It was uh... <laughs> so. Wallflower is Lori Collins, uh, and we're not going to cover this super chronologically. But let's let's talk about her backstory first. It's revealed kind of slowly over time. There is a plot line where her father is a very underdeveloped character that you could tell they had big plans for it. He never got really fleshed out. His name is Sean Garrison, and he has pheromone powers. Uh, he comes across a lot like Empath from the Hellions, uh, Man Manuel de la Rocha, who will use his powers very much for evil. And he convinces a woman named uh, Gail Collins to marry him, and she gets pregnant before she is able to break away from his power control. There's something about the pregnancy that allows her to no longer be under his influence. And so Gail is this very devoted mother who has to run away in order to raise her child. And we just had this like very dense episode on the podcast about the use of mind control for sexual assault. This is one of those stories. Sean Garrison is one of those villains. And here's a character... Here's a character who has to bear a child from rape and then love this baby and raise her uh, until she learns her daughter is a mutant that has the same powers as her father, which is something we see from time to time. Parents, uh, mutant parents passing on the same power set to their children. Uh, tell me some of your thoughts on, on Lori's backstory. I did just listen to that podcast episode the, uh, the other day and I'm still in recovery mode. So if, if other people, if, um, Listeners, for whatever reason, have not heard that yet. Um, I would recommend that they that they go uh, they go listen to it. That way, it was a wonderful podcast with wonderful people, yourself included. It's a little uh, trauma dense. <laughs> yes. I warn people multiple times, um, like take care of yourself before and after listening to this. It's uh, I'm smiling as I say that. It's 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 a little bit of a tough listen, but I hope it helps some people with their healing and processing. It's uh, I'm proud of what we put together. And uh, yeah, as a content warning, this does touch on that on, on some of that same ground. Um, but it also does come from an era of comics where, unlike some of the the comics that you discussed, um, what's going on is not hidden. Sean Garrison is an extremely scary villain, and he's um, he's outright. Uh, 
I can't actually recall if um, if the if the word rapist was used in the comic, but it's very clear what what's going on, and the writing does not shy away from that the, that part of um, that part of what his powers uh, are, and what makes them scary, and why Lori um, and her mother um, uh, would be uh, would be afraid of them too. Um, one th one thing I did want to touch on Wallflower's name. Um, she's not actually that shy. She's uh, she seems fairly extroverted in her um, at least in her backstory. And if she does become shy, it's because of it's because of trauma related to uh, to who she is and what she does. When she was um, and I, as you've written out here in uh, in her backstory, when she was about thirteen, her powers first started to manifest when he when she was with a group of 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 uh, of friends and have just having a good time with them, and she's uh, becoming uh, becoming like uh, becoming a, a like a popular girl among them. Uh, and that was when her mother realized that she was manifesting the same pheromone powers that uh that her father did without ever realizing it that she didn't mean to affect the people around her that she didn't mean to 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 almost violate the uh, violate them but just as a she's consequence she's a child she doesn't know yeah. she just wants to be liked or have cute boys like her and when she starts realizing people are noticing her it's for the wrong reasons that would mess you up psychologically in your adolescence for sure especially as an extrovert at that age and she's not that much older in the in the, the main comics that only happened um two years ago by the time we we, we see laurie in the in the new mutants time frame so in New Mutants 11 is when we get her first kind of dense, there, there's a couple stories. There's one about Wallflower and one about Wolvesbane who is dating a student. We'll get into that in a, <laughs> we'll get into that in a few minutes. But there's a, neck. there's a lot of attention given to Lori. We learn that after her powers manifested, her mom enrolls her at Xavier's school. She's there in the background during the uh, Grant Morrison New X-Men run. She's present during the riot of Xavier's, that famous uh, Quentin Quire story. Uh, and then she kind of takes the spotlight, of course, in the New Mutants book, because we didn't know she was there before. Uh, let me actually read the text from that issue very quickly. That's part of Laurie's story. And this is all narratively told with images. Uh, it gives us a lot of density into her history. So this is from New Mutants, volume two, number 11. Once upon a time, there was a shy girl named Lori. She could control people's emotions, but she never wanted to. Lori never knew who her father was, but he was a man with great power over others. He could manipulate emotions with his pheromones. He studied people and learned how to hide his gift, learned to use it to get what he wanted and who he wanted. And for a short while, he wanted Gail Collins. One day his powers stopped working on her. When she discovered how he had controlled her, she left. But what she didn't know was that his powers stopped working because she was pregnant with his child. Gail Collins raised Lori on her own. She never told Lori about her father. Gail never again found love or a companion. And raising a child alone was difficult, so she worked long hours. Taking her cue from her mother, Lori saw herself as her own best company. She did not seek out others because she could tell her mother had been hurt before. When Lori was 13, her mother took her on her vacation. It was there that Lori blossomed. Everyone around her adored Lori. They wanted to make her happy. And for the first time in her life, Lori felt popular. She was happy. Lori's newfound confidence did not last. Gail had seen these reactions before. She knew they were the result of pheromones, that Lori had inherited her father's ability. And she told Lori that using this ability was unfair to others. 
Gale tried to explain that Laurie was worthy of admiration, even without pheromones, but it didn't matter to Laurie. She knew she could never trust how anyone felt about her again. When Laurie returned home, she was more withdrawn than ever, but even that did not keep her powers from causing problems. The solution to Laurie's problem came from her mother. Gail knew that Laurie needed some special help, so she sent her to a very special school, Charles Xavier's school. But Gail was immune to Laurie's powers and wanted Laurie to have one person nearby whose feelings she could trust, so Gail moved to Salem Center to be near her. Still, she insisted that Laurie live at the school. She wanted Laurie to make friends. Laurie did not make friends at school. Instead, she withdrew from social contact. Attempts to pair her with a roommate failed. Some were because her power caused problems. There were others immune to her power. She pulled away from them too. None of them worked out for her. And through it all, she never actively used her power, never tried to control it. Then the worst thing imaginable happened to Lori. The school, her safe place, her haven, it was the scene of a riot. And of course, this is the rioted Xavier's that I referenced a moment ago. Lori hid in her room, tried to avoid chaos as mutant students attacked human visitors. But everything she was feeling, she knew it was out there, fear, anger, panic. And as she felt them, she had to wonder, was she sending them out into a crowd? Was she turning into turning a fight into a riot? She now faced the, she was faced with the devastating potential of her power and it terrified her. Lori finally found a roommate who would not be chased away. She started, that's a wind dancer or Sophia Mantega. She started making friends. She even had a crush that she didn't run away from. And we'll talk about that crush in just a minute. But then it all fell apart. She finally used her power by choice to save her friends from mutant hunting villains. But because she couldn't control her power, it left her friends too scared to help her. Too scared to help her when one of the villains killed her. Lori had been stabbed from behind. She had been stabbed through the heart. It was a wound no one could survive. She was all but dead until Lori met Josh. Josh betrayed the villain and healed Lori, and Lori was instantly smitten. But Josh was more interested in someone else, someone who had now attacked him. We're going to get into what all that meant at the end with the villains and the attacks uh, for a second. But Tristan, what do we learn about Lori here as we reference these stories or these flashbacks to her childhood? It sounds like she grew up very lonely, and this fear of using her power or this fear of letting her light shine, if you will, caused her to just kind of withdraw from everyone. Thus the codename Wallflower, which is very appropriate. Yeah. I must have been misremembering. I thought um, I thought I remembered she had been extroverted before that incident. Um, I think what you're referring to is in her very first appearance, we, mm -hmm. see, her, we see her interacting with uh, students at her school. And she's a little shy, but she's socially active. And there's a boy mm -hmm. who comes up and says, he's a jock, and he says, will you help me with algebra? And then suddenly he's all flirting with her and wants her to date her, and she starts to realize she's a mutant at the time. So I think that's what you're thinking of. She's more extroverted mm. at that very first appearance. Yeah. Uh, and then when she realizes she's a mutant, she starts to withdraw. Yeah, yeah. So this idea of her being frightened of her power, I think adds a lot of complexity. She's hiding from the riot, but afraid she's causing it at the same time, which tells us a lot about her as well. She's not only, she's not just afraid of her power. She's rightly afraid of her power. It means that there are only a few people on, on the earth that she can be associated with or even be acquaintances with without affecting them in ways that they don't consent to be affected. Rogue can't touch anyone, but Lori can't be near anyone. It's uh, it's one of those haunted powers. It's one of those mm -hmm. things that you have to shy away from. It's really quite a, quite a scary thing when you see someone who's using this idea responsibly. Like I said, that was this, reading her story was when I first 
I think got the X-Men and got what made their powers different from everybody else's powers and how they existed in their universe. They were one of the only superhero teams where even from the start, um, a lot of them would say uh, if when they when they were asked um, if they could be no, if they could be unpowered people, a lot of they all said yes instantly. Even the original team. It's uh, it's it's sad to be afraid of who you are. It's only through experimenting and figuring out who you are. Uh, I do therapy for a lot of queer people who came out later in life. I'm in Utah, so that often means people who were even married and had children before coming out. And there's a lot of like, had I been able to develop normally in my adolescence, I might be confident in myself. But now as an adult, I'm going through puberty basically on a developmental level. Uh, and I think that I think that applies. I mean, this is a character who's uh, a teenager, obviously, mm -hmm. um, but she's also afraid. Being a mutant is not easy. People are constantly trying to attack you, and we're going to see that happen again and again. Uh, and she can't. She can't. Like Rogue and like uh, like her classmate Wither, she can't even. She can't even feel safe around other mutants without affecting them, or she can't feel like they're safe around her. So Lori is most closely connected. She's friends with Wind Dancer, but she's most closely connected to two male characters. And she's often used as the plot device in their kind of teenage romance triangle. One of them is Kevin Ford, who Ooh. is Wither. Uh, tell us about Kevin Ford. Uh, Wither is a mutant who has the power to, um, the unwanted power to, uh, to kill anything that he touches. Um, so yeah, he he also has one of those cursed uh, uh, cursed powers, um, and Lori is caught in a a big complicated love triangle between him, between Josh Foley, um, Elixir, and Wolfsbane, in which she is uh, she she's treated rather poorly, um, and the 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 way that um, the, uh, the way that um, the, that. Uh, th that she is used in the story is something uh, in these stories is something that I want to address because uh, there 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 are um, there are some big gaps um, I would like to fill in that but we'll we'll get to those I'm sure yeah we can actually jump into that right now let's set up the school for just a minute there's these teenagers they're in school and they're also training to use their powers and the three characters we need to introduce quickly one of them is Wither who's like a goth kid who if he touches you you die. And when he learns how to embrace his power later in the comics, he turns super evil. This is during like Celine's Necrotia event where he will just kill anything he can. The second is uh, is Wolvesbane, who's Rain Sinclair, one of the original New Mutants, a beloved character who has been through maybe more shit than any other X-Men character, which is saying Big a lot. List. Yeah. <laughs> but she during this time is kind of regularly being taken over by her wolf form. She's been through a bunch of trauma and she's at the school as a teacher and looking just like ridiculously beautiful. She's not meant to be this gorgeous, but she's uh, she's this gorgeous redhead. She's faculty and the wolf seems to kind of be releasing her more inherent tendencies to, I don't know, break the rules. She's riding around on a motorcycle. She starts dating a student. We're gonna get into all that. And then the third character is the one that you know very well. Uh, would you tell us about Josh Foley. Yes, uh, Josh Foley is um, uh, started out as an anti-mutant bigot, um, just a, a, a 
young teenager like all of the others who got swept up into anti-mutant uh, 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 furor um, by, um, you know, by fear, uh, like fear-mongering demagogues who visited his school um, and got him, uh, got him sucked into all of that. But of course, he is he is a mutant himself, as he dis um, he eventually uh, discovered that he had the power to heal people with a touch. Um, and his powers became much, much, much bigger later. But at this stage in the story, that is essentially, he is essentially a healer and can, and, um, that, that is his role on the team. So when, um, when he's with a bunch of anti, of, um, anti-mutant bigots who attack the new mutants and kill Lori, um, he heals her and, and brings her back, uh, brings her back to life. Um, uh, gosh, I'm Lurie, Lurie, Lurie is literally, they're on an outing and Lori is literally stabbed through the chest, uh, and is dying. And Josh, who is a member of the Reavers, heals her with his powers. And she is forever hearts in her eyes in love with him after that. While Kevin or Wither is in love with Lori, but can never touch her. So it's one of those classic X-Men love triangles where there's a lot that goes on. There's an element of Josh Foley who, um, I, I've done a lot of gay hate crimes research and trans hate crimes research. There's a lot of history of like, there's a guy who hooks up with a gay guy, but then is like, I'm not gay. And then he will literally murder the guy that he just hooked up with. And there's this idea of uh, someone who hates themselves so much for what they are that they'll attack other people who are like what they are afraid of in themselves. Uh, and there seems to be an element of that for Josh for me. We don't have to delve into that deep, but he's the mutant kid who professes to hate mutants until he's forced to join them. Uh, it's an uncomfortable storyline when you put it into that context. Yes. Um... I don't know that he ever comes around to hating himself. I think he's got too much of an ego for that. Um, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> he, 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 he's um, not ashamed to be a mutant, but he's, uh, he's hurt that his, his anti-mutant friends turn against him when he's, when he's suddenly revealed to be a mutant. Um, he does not, uh, he does not act very well in Lori's story. He, at, um, he starts to date Lori at one point, while at the same time um, having a relationship with uh, with Wolfsbane, his teacher, um, and ke and keeping this from Lorian, basic and um, really treating Lori like an uh, like an accessory. Josh, uh, Josh and Rain are dating, and that story before that I referenced, where I read the long quote from New Mutants Eleven, uh, that culminates in the end of Josh tries to heal Rain of like the werewolf influence in her, because that's her power. She turns into a werewolf. And Rain flips out and just guts him. And Lori is holding Josh in her arms. She makes Rain run away with her powers. And then Josh is dying, but then he revives. And when he heals himself, his skin turns golden. So he's now, uh, he's now got golden skin, blonde hair. He's literally the golden boy at this point. Let me hear your thoughts, Tristan, on where, where, where would you like to take that conversation regarding the Wolvesbane, Wither, Lori, Josh, <laughs> kind of a uh, kind of rectangle that we have here. Uh, it's, it's another way that Lori, that Lori is hurt and traumatized um, by her relationship. She can, um, with a few people that she that she is able to strike up with what we might call 
uh, normal relationships with other, with uh, with other mutants. Um, they tr they uh, treat her like uh, they they treat her like trash. Um, Josh is. Uh, uh, I I mean I've 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 written Josh. Um, I like. Josh, overall, I like where he becomes, but in this storyline in particular, he's just an asshole. He's a teenage boy who's very self-absorbed and very privileged, and he's an asshole to a lot of people, but Lori, mm -hmm. he almost treats as like a non-entity. He just, he's dating her, he asks her out and completely ignores the fact that she's in love with him while he's sneaking around with Rain uh, behind the scenes. And he's not a great, I, I love in your book how you explore the complexity of his ego and how everyone around him doesn't trust him because he's a reaver and awful, uh, but he has to kind of earn their trust over time. It's, it, it's, it's only through time and like hard circumstances. He's the jerk in your book, uh, which, is, which is always fun to, to read that perspective. That's why people love, uh, although it's not an apt comparison, but we love characters like Emma Frost or Moondragon because we get to see that kind of flip side of people just being a jerk. Uh, Hopefully even a sympathetic jerk. Um, Definitely. But in this particular storyline, I did not find him very sympathetic. And unfortunately, also in the storyline, Lori does not have much of much agency here. Um, when she finds out that uh, that he's been cheating on her, with it, with, again, with a teacher, um, she just she just kind of she runs off and I did not really not really part of that story for a while after that. Yeah, so Lori Lori's story kind of gets deeply connected to Josh for a while, and we get a bunch of scenes with them. But the first volume of New or that second volume of New Mutants kind of closes after Josh's skin turns golden, and then the book is relaunched as New X Men. In 2004, we get the same writers at the beginning, and you can tell that they're taking Laurie somewhere, but there's a shift in the creative team, and there's a shift in tone that really vastly changes this from like a teenage high school drama book into a uh, into like a, an epic tragedy. It's the most bloody book ever, unless you consider like Genosha or Days of Future Past. It's uh, it's one of the most bloody storylines. We'll get there in a second. It, but it is an incredible mood twist. I, um... I was not completely caught off guard. Um, I had been, I, when I read it, I had been, uh, I'd read plot summaries and had been forewarned, but even still, it caught me off guard. Yeah, that bus exploding. We'll get there in a minute, but it's just, it's an absolute gut punch. I, this is during, well, we'll get, we'll get there in just a minute. So when the book relaunches, they try to formalize the team a little bit. They've divided the school up into training squads with different mentors. And the mentors are North Star and Karma and, Moonstar and a bunch of kind of uh, ancillary X-Men characters from like the last generation of students or two generations ago at least. And Moonstar is kind of the lead in this book and she's organized a team of six students and a lot of these are beloved characters who aren't always used as much as we'd like because there's thousands of X-Men characters to choose from and this generation of students is often not embraced or as well remembered as the original X-Men or the original New Mutants. Um, a lot of these characters get tossed off to the side, which is unfortunate because they're great. Or, 
or put on a bus and then blown up. <laughs> or murdered repeatedly, right. Yeah. Uh, so the, this team of New Mutants, and they call themselves the New Mutants, is uh, Prodigy, uh, which is David Elaine, who a lot of people know as the bisexual member of the Young Avengers, or uh, more recently, Leah Williams' X-Factor. We've got Wind Dancer, we, who we mentioned. We've got Surge, who is uh, Noriko Ashida. Uh, Wither, who we've mentioned, and Elixir, of course, which is Josh Foley's codename, as well as uh, Lori. So we've got this team that forms. They're in rivalry with the Hellions team, who has a, not, a lot of other beloved characters, uh, including Hellion himself, Julian Keller, and Rockslide. Uh, we won't delve a lot into those characters today. But Josh is still secretly dating Wolvesbane as the new volume starts, uh, but he's also dating Lori. And there's, uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on as Lori's starting to learn how to use her powers effectively in battle, making people run away or have big emotional reactions so they can't fight. Uh, she's actually getting agency. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's starting to get a little bit of screen time. Now, uh, tell us about when Lori takes Josh home to meet her mother. This is, this is the scene where Josh is the biggest jerk to me. I think he's awful in this scene. <laughs> It's, uh, they go home and have dinner with Gail and Josh is like, your cooking is awful, but also your mom's super hot. Do you, do you remember this? <laughs> Not word for word, but I remember the, I, I remember how I felt when I read it. Um, and by that, that, by that point, uh, I, I had already committed to, uh, to, to writing Josh and I was seriously starting to second guess that. Um, <laughs> but fortunate he does get better later, but. Yeah, the, the, this scene is um, is pretty un is, is pretty close to unforgivable, and that he he makes it clear that he sees other people as props for himself um, as set pieces in his own personal story. The same way that he he didn't see mutants as people until he had no choice but to see mutants as people because he was one of them, and then he it it, it just seemed unfair that everybody was uh, that all of his old anti-mutant friends were were picking were assaulting him in the same way that he used to assault mutants um his world his world revolved around him his story was of uh, it was um was entirely his story he uh yeah he gets a lot more agency than laurie does but i do like how they use laurie a lot of the time she's very background particularly once the book relaunches She's very ancillary at a particular point. Josh, I suppose, I suppose we can forgive Elixir for being a teenage boy with teenage boy problems, but also <laughs> the way he behaves is often awful. He's he kisses Lori goodnight one night and she's elated, but not long after that, she finds out that he's been secretly dating Wolvesbane, and everyone knows she becomes kind of the laughing stock of the whole school. And she accidentally, or on purpose at least, uses her powers a couple times. And her mom is furious with her. She goes home to her mom for comfort. And her mom is like, you're becoming just like your father. And this, this is, no, go ahead. This starts her other big storyline. The other reason why, uh, why I'm so drawn to this character is her storyline, this incredibly dark storyline with her father. Yeah. As uh, her father uh, reemerges into the picture and becomes part of Lori's life. And Lori's literally, the storyline gets dropped. So she's literally never met her dad. Her mom has basically let her know I was raped by somebody and that's your dad and you're becoming like him, which is such a heavy burden to put on someone. But her her poor mom is not a bad person. She's just living her worst nightmare. Yeah, one, says, of the, one of the things I love about, uh, I, I love about um, 
Lorian Gillis, that their relationship is extremely genuine. I, I believe completely how much they care about each other. The mom who moves near the school to be near her daughter. Absolutely. Who needs to get help from someone because her mom can't do it herself. And her mom's one of the few people immune to Laurie's powers at the same time, which is fascinating. So when uh, when Gail confronts Laurie and says, you're becoming like your father, this is my favorite wallflower moment right here. Laurie gives a speech and she's using her will for the first time. She says, I'm not like him, but you know what? I won't be like you either. I can't keep hiding from what I can do, hiding from my emotions. I let Josh treat me badly because of what you made me into. You made me afraid to assert myself. I won't be your wallflower anymore. And she runs out of the room. And this is the issue where we first learned that Sean Garrison, who is this internet celebrity with like a cable show, he started to do therapy for some characters at the school, but Lori never meets him. But Gail pulls a picture out of a drawer and it shows her with Sean early on in their marriage. And so there's this kind of like, oh, revelation at the end. But Lori's speech, I'm not going to hide anymore. I'm going to own who I am and I'm going to do it responsibly because I don't want to be dad, but I also don't want to be you. Uh, tell me your thoughts on this moment for her. It is a big moment of growth. And while uh, while she does love her mother and her, mo uh, her mother loves her, and I do love that relationship, it, it, it is a little, it is cloying from her perspective. Um, it's understand. I mean, the cloyingness of, of that is understandable since um, Gail is one of the few people that Lori can can have a genuine relationship with in her life without uh, without her powers um, or without basically uh, unwillingly assaulting them uh, with her powers. Um, but Gail is looking out for Lori's welfare sometimes to the point of not treating her like a person either. And yeah. this is a big moment when she steps away from that. Well, it's, yeah, it's her, it's her declaration of independence in a lot of ways. I'm a mutant. I have to live with this. I can't hide anymore. It's her coming out story in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. uh, as a mutant, at least, because we always look for those queer analogies. There are some, there are some moments at the school. They're like training in against the Hellions. There's like a, Danger room sequence where Lori helps fight a construct of the Hulk. The Sentinels attack. Wolverine gets brainwashed by the hand and kills North Star and Lori grieves. But she's very in the background for all of those. So Lori's next big story is they have a big school dance and she's pissed off at Josh. So she agrees to go with David or Prodigy instead. And she's dressed gorgeous in this like lavender dress. Her mom is there as a chaperone at the dance. And she literally wonders aloud if, because uh, she sees Lori getting along with her friends and Lori overhears her mom saying, I wonder if Lori's using her powers in order to be liked, which is a valid fear, but also ouch, right? Like that's uh, the person who's supposed to have faith in you. And then during the dance, she wants to make Josh jealous. So she uses her pheromone powers to make, uh, to make uh, Prodigy kiss her. And the other students are furious because they realize she's used her powers in this way. And her mom saw her as well. So Lori like flees from the room. She's in tears. And uh, she kind of just kind of moves away from everybody for a while. And meanwhile, Sean Garrison, her dad, has started treating the blob as a patient. And he uses his powers to make Blob think, you should go attack the school. And Blob does. And Gail gets hurt pretty badly. Her mom, there's the, he knocks the gate over and she gets conked on the head. And Josh heals her, of course. But uh, this is like a really tough little spot for Lori to be in as she goes from kind of being well-liked to being a pariah because she made David do something against his will. 
Uh, that's kind of her other big, she only gets a couple big moments and this is one of them. Tell me your thoughts on this story. She, um, she, in her big independence moment, she said that she's not going to be like her dad, but she kind of is becoming like her dad. And that, that's like, a, that's incredibly dark given that Sean Garrison is an out and out snide, um, smug, snide, villainous rapist on page. And the, the, the storyline does not shy away from depicting him as such. Um, in the way that a lot of the like a lot of the '60s comics that you discussed um, in the in your recent your most recent episode um, did. Yeah, we um, can't we can't compare her to Mandrill and Purple Man by any means, but it's not no, an but, easy power set to grow up with when you have big feelings and you've been rejected by somebody. And Sean is kind of uh, is kind of making this pitch to her um, to be like to use her powers and to be like him, and it, it's. It it it, see, it it seems like she's like she is moving in that direction. Like she's she's finding this convincing, and after everything she's been through, I can understand the appeal of actually of use of embracing of um, the pitch that he makes that that attacking other people with their pheromones is is becoming her uh, becoming herself. Yeah, um, she um, Sean is um, in addition to her. He's kind of working on on several other students at the at the school, the Blob included, and trying to get inside their heads and manipulate them. And he's he's he seems like he's he's trying to convince Lori to become a uh, a manipulator as well. And this is one of many times in X Men history where the plot line completely just gets dropped. There's a change in the creative team. The editors go in a different direction. House of M hits, most of the world loses their powers. Right before that, we get one final appearance where it's, it's a book called New X-Men Academy X yearbook special. And uh, in this, we get the resolution we needed from the dance story. Lori apologizes to David for what he did and he forgives her. Josh apologizes for having lied to Lori and everybody is friends again. And there's like a cute little like, like, yearbook pictures where we learn it says uh lori loves reading and puzzles she dislikes public speaking and she was voted the, the school's shyest student it's like a cute little moment for her and then everything goes dark yeah so we get closure to that particular storyline but to this one where uh to to her relationship with her mother to her relationship with her awful father um to her kind of to her kind of sliding into that more manipulative um that that villainous role that that um, that that Sean is in, then things get dropped. So Craig very Kyle, very abruptly and very violently. Craig Kyle and Chris Yost, who are also incredible writers, take over the book, and Laurie doesn't matter a lot to them. You can tell there's a lot of characters they just have to toss aside. She wasn't one of the big ones. We wake up to the school right after M Day, where most of the students, most of the world, has lost their mutant powers, and it's just chaos. Now, Lori still has her powers. She's one of the what are they? There was the 198 they called it. I don't know why that number, but after the decimation, she's one that keeps keeps her powers. But Wither thinks his powers are gone, and he's thrilled, and he rushes up to Lori and he grabs her arm. Lori, my powers are gone, but they are not, and her arm dies. He, he holds on long enough for her arm to wither away into like decayed flesh. And uh, Emma puts everyone to sleep because there's too much chaos. People are dying. People are freaking out. 
Uh, and people are, are horribly injured and maimed. It's so sad. And right after this, they're starting to send all of the depowered kids home. You got to go back to your families. We we can't keep you here at the school anymore. We have to, we're an endangered species now. We have to protect our own. And they load like dozens of kids on a school bus to take them home. And William Stryker and the purifiers attack and blow up the bus and kill dozens of Lori's friends as she and her surviving friends watch. Uh, tell me your thoughts on this era of New X-Men. It's brutal. It's so painful. I, I had been warned in advance about the uh, about the uh, the darker turn, but I had not been warned about the 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 mass slaughter. <laughs> it makes sense from the villains' perspectives. Um, they don't. I mean, they're bigots. They don't care that the that these particular mutants have lost their power. They're still go They're still going to hate them. And they take advantage of the chaos of, of M-Day to butcher a whole bunch of students and, and other secondary characters that we've come to know over the series. And then things get darker again. Somehow uh, darker still. Lori is uh, kind of set to the side. They bring in, Emma selects like a new team of kids that she's training for combat. And Lori doesn't make the team. She's got a dead arm. Most of her friends are dead. This is a traumatized teenage girl. And then we get to new X-Men 25. Uh, she opens up to Cannonball of all people about how Josh won't really talk to her. He feels like the bus accident was his fault. She wants Sam to reach out to Josh and she accidentally like makes Sam cry. She's not even meaning to, she's just so sad. Cannonball starts to cry. And then she corners Josh on the lawn and tries to break through to him about his grief. She's like, you can't heal people who are dead. This wasn't your fault. There's nothing you could have done. And as she's comforting him, her last words are, Josh, no. And there's this random member of the purifiers who just shoots her in the head. It's a gut punch. She is fridged effectively and dies in Josh's arms on the front lawn of Xavier's mansion. She's wearing a plaster and a pink sweater and she just falls dead. Like just snap your fingers gone. It's, it's, it's effective storytelling in that it's shock, but it's awful to see particularly it's, like it's a teenage girl. That's just brutally killed right in front of you. Uh, it, it's rough to watch. Tell me your thoughts on this story. And um, like I said, like you, I do like these writers but I really wish that they had not done this to, 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 like you said, to, um, to borrow and butcher that, that famous, uh, Gail Simone phrase. Uh, she was, she like was shot right into a refrigerator. She, um, she immediately, she, her, her story stops there and she just immediately becomes a set piece, a prop in the uh, the male characters story there's a um, there are there's a uh, there are moments later where um that that we're going to touch on um i'm sure that the the boy that the the boys are are fighting over her memory yeah. um but it, yeah, it do, you, do you want to take us there tell us what happens oh yeah um yeah. uh a couple story a couple storylines down um Prodigy and Elixir are um, are have are um, dueling over uh, who lo who loved Laurie more, and uh, again she's she's just a prop in their storyline. That's all that that's what she's become for what she, what she becomes for a long while. And uh, 
she actually, I think in the same storyline, she actually literally becomes a, a prop and that her body is reanimated and, um, and well, used we'll, as a weapon against the, uh, as an X-Men. We'll or, get there. Uh, excuse me, against the X-Men. We'll get there next. The only thing else I want to cover here is there's a moment in New X-Men 28 where, uh, where um, Gail comes to claim her daughter's body from the school. This is the place that was supposed to, pr to protect and train her kid. And now she's just helpless. And we don't see Gail again, which is super sad. This is also a big moment for Emma, who's just Emma and her students and the fact that she keeps losing students, uh, Emma Frost. It's, uh, it's a powerful moment for her as well. And then, yeah, she's gone. She's remembered. She shows up in a dream a couple times, but it's Wither and Elixir uh, in their memories. And then all the way down to 2009, that's when Warren Ellis is giving us Astonishing X-Men 31 through 33. And Lori's corpse has been weaponized as a bio-sentinel. <laughs> Emma, Emma sees Lori walking around and she's like, what the hell? Like, I thought you were dead. And then she turns into a sentinel composed out of organic matter who has a weapon that fires missiles full of brood aliens at the X-Men. And then she blows up. And that's all. It's, yeah, she's she's not really there. That's just that's just her her body meant to uh, to tearing at the uh, the 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 boys's heartstrings and trying to tear at the readers's heartstrings. Yeah, it's um, it's rough, man. Yeah, it's it's not <laughs> the ending I would have I, I would have loved for uh, I, I would have wanted for this character if she had to have uh such an abrupt ending. And I do have big mixed feelings about where the uh the the Sean Garrison uh, storyline might have been going trending on such I mean incredibly sensitive topics, um, do, like do do I trust that the story at that point would have been capable of handling um, the the what was be the plot that was being set up with uh, with her and Sean? No, I don't trust that at all. Do I still want to see more of a resolution? Absolutely. My, my guess is where that Sean Garrison story was heading is I think he would have reclaimed his control over Gail or tried to use leverage to get her back. And she probably would have died tragically. Maybe not. But I think Laurie would have ended up triumphing over her father in the end, proving that her power was greater than his. But she may have lost her mom along the way. Like that's kind of this. That's kind of where I saw that story going is like a big moment for Lori to rise above her evil dad and prove that she's not the same as him. That's the story that I hoped for. And I hope Gail would have survived it, but we never, we never got to go there. Josh and also one, got, Oh, sorry. One go of ahead. The things I, oh, I'm sorry. One of the things I, I also do love about the X-Men is uh, the, the soap opera storylines in which characters change position permanently and P and characters that we know become villains, um, or die, or villains that we know um, become uh, become heroes, or generally shift positions all the time. Yeah, um, there are several of the um, the uh, the the uh, the young X Men of Laurie's generation who do do become villains. Um, Wither most prominently among sure. them, he just becomes a walking massacre machine. Yeah, so I don't. I, I mean, there there always is in. She probably would have had, like you said, a, a, a brighter ending, but just because the X-Men is not afraid of, of, dark, of um, darker storylines for characters, there's always going to be that, that tension or suspense in the back of my head that what, it, what if she didn't? 
What she, if Sean had made such a convincing, uh, convincing pitch to her that you that can have all of these things, that you can be yourself if you just give in? And she would not have been the first, uh, the first mutant of her generation in that school to 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 succumb to that. If I ever get to interview, excuse me, Christina Ware or Anunzio de Filippis, I'll ask them this question: Like, where was the wallflower story going? Because we, oh, um, I, I would yeah. love to know. I, uh, I, we. Oh, I wanted to mention too. Josh gets two big moments, kind of in in Lori's name. He later, uh, William Stryker is the guy that killed Lori effectively. He's the one that ordered her death and, and Josh kills him. And then his skin turns black because we learn he can't just heal others. He also uh, can kill others. So uh, he uh, he's an Omega mutant. We learn later with this kind of powers over uh, bioorganic matter. He joins X-Force. And then there's another moment during the Necrotia event where he overwhelms Withers powers as well and kills him also. Now, both Wither and Lori have been resurrected on Krakoa. They've only been seen in the background. Uh, it's X-Factor Volume 4, Number 5 by Leah Williams. And a lot of the students that died there are resurrected by the Five. And Josh is part of the Five. He's the one that ages, uh, not ages, or, or allows the bioorganic matter in the eggs to develop a stage where they can be born, right? So Lori is back, but we literally, she hasn't had a single line of dialogue. When, I think oh, go ahead. I think yeah, we get we get a page of her coming back, and I, I, I it almost seems like that page was an apology for uh, like for, for her fridging, and that I think the the character visiting her during the, her resurrection says that she never got treated as well as she should have, or something that that is not only addressing her but addressing the audience as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, we, we get a moment, well, let me change gears. When you and I were first chatting about this character, you described her as a character who never got her own will, uh, kind of, or, or she never got to sail her own ship, if you will. What did you mean by that? She was moving in that direction. Um, she does have that big thrust of independence, but, uh, uh, that big moment of independence with, uh, with her mother, but she doesn't get to exercise that or she, the, there are many more i should say there are many more stories in which she it, does not have a role of agency than there are stories in which she is an agent fair fair i like this character you had a beautiful moment in your book this siege of x41 am i remembering the title correctly mm -hmm. yep uh you had a beautiful moment in your book and this is set in a parallel universe because it's the novels where Blindfold, uh, who's uh, a character that can predict the future, approaches Elixir and is like, stay the fuck away from Lori. There's another world where you being involved in her life does not end well. <laughs> and it's a really lovely kind of song to Lori, even though it's a very passing moment in your book. Tell me about your decision to include that. Yeah, after, um, well, yeah. Um, like uh, like I said, I, I picked up the uh, the new X Men books primarily to research uh, to research Josh, who I knew I was going to be writing about, and Lori was an unexpected discovery. I and she was she jumped out at me in such a way that I had to find a way to include her and to address in a even in a meta plot sense her role in uh, uh, her role and its uh, abrupt um, its uh, abrupt uh, shortening. Um, in a book with elixir in it. This is a sad story. And there's a lot of sad stories in the X-Men history. There's a lot of tragedy and trauma, 
but the the teenage girl of it all this is not a character that i've thought much about and i love doing this research and focusing just on her perspective uh which is my favorite thing about doing these patreon episodes is i'm considering characters that are often considered ancillary or or obscure uh, and I, I love her. I really, I really genuinely like this character and would love to see her featured more. One, um, of, the, one of the things I love so much about the X-Men is that there are characters like these that just jump out at people. And it's different characters for different people and characters that you might not have looked at twice will absolutely mean the world to somebody. And this is a, this is a character who I didn't go out searching for, who I didn't wasn't aware of before I started reading these comics, who just leapt out at me um, to the point where did yeah, to the point where I, I wanted to write about her. When and, I, I, did... I oh, I'm sorry, please go. I, I just uh, uh, was just going to finish that thought by saying that, I, and I do understand why she wouldn't leap out at other people in the same way that other people's favorite characters wouldn't leap out at me but reading the x-men is is such a personal uh, personal experience in that way yeah yeah the character she reminds me most of in uh in marvel continuity is purple girl if you go back and read alpha flight from the 80s the purple man's daughter he's the mind control guy who raped melanie and uh well made her marry him with his mind control and then kara kilgrave is a teenage girl who develops uh, control powers when she's 13 and she joins the Alpha Flight team and has to learn how to uh, use her powers for good and not uh, not use them irresponsibly. And there's a there's a parallel there between those two stories for Wallflower and for Purple Girl. But I really like both of these characters. Um, the uh, <laughs> I was just going to reference when I've done episodes like uh, I did a, I did the, an episode on Lorelai or on the Changeling. And most of their story, we have to read between the lines to try to figure out. But I also did one on like Moses Magnum, who's a character that is used sporadically over the years. And I'm like, oh my God, I love this villain now. Like he's one of my favorites, but he's used like once every 10 years in a random title. Uh, I think sometimes, Wallflower is one of those characters who got a lot of attention, but was part of a big cast. And I don't think she ever got the story that they were building toward. Uh, I would love to see that story told still. I think she's got a lot of potential. You can see the outline of that story, and then it it was it was cut off with the with the chain of the um, the 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 change of writing teams, and yeah, you mentioned Johnny D earlier. He was another one of the characters who, <laughs> who did the same thing for me to the point where I, I uh, he he he, he took he took the uh, a main villainous role in uh, in uh, in Outlaw Relentless. Well, it won't be for a few months, but maybe I'll have you back next year for a Johnny D episode. No one else cares about that guy. <laughs> no, I, I don't even know that he's been. Um, and of course, uh, there are there are so many comics coming out that, I, I, but I would be surprised if he had been mentioned since his uh, his main story. I maintain a number of profiles on the Marvel Universe appendix, and one of the profiles that I wrote that I maintain is Johnny D, which is bizarre. His last appearance was in Civil War X-Men number four in 2006. Mm -hmm. He has not shown up since then. That is, that is uh, there are a number of characters who share Johnny D's fate in which um, I believe he's last seen in prison um, plotting how to get out. And we get a we, we get a hint that he's about to escape, but then he just never appears again. He's so gross. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, Tristan Palmgren, thank you for making me love Wallflower. Uh, and thank you for your friendship and your ongoing uh, talents and work. I love every time you're on the show and every time we get to interact. Um, on a personal note, I have my youngest child has come out as non-binary. And as I uh, feature more and more non-binary people on the pod, I get to tell my child about like, oh, here's these great people who are non-binary doing amazing things. And uh, he, they and I have had conversations about your work. Uh, I recently featured uh, Steen Stewart on an episode that hasn't even come out yet. We got to talk about Steens, and it's just wonderful uh, that you get to represent this for uh, for other people who are going through their own journey. Um, I'm so honored to know you, my friend. Thank you for being here with me today. That warms my you, I, I can't express to you how much that warms my heart. Thank you. Um, for all of for all of your kindness and thank you thank you for for having me here again i will certainly keep inviting you are always welcome to say no but i'll keep inviting <laughs> i will i will i will i will fight to be here we are going to release this episode the first week of november uh is there anything you'd like to plug um i don't know um all kinds of NDAs certain ndas will uh <laughs> will um it will not be uh, will not be relevant, but I will I will um, I will recommend I um, will plug Squirrel Girl Universe. It's um, so fun. Yeah, go give it a read. I've got like thirty pages left, and I'm so excited to go finish it. I was reading it uh, just this morning. I was hoping to get it done before we recorded, but I'm right at the end. I can't wait to see how it uh, how it results. I, I that was the book I've had the most fun writing in my life, and I hope that comes across. It's so fun. You clearly love these characters uh, very much. Um, where can people find you online, Tristan, if they'd like to look up your stuff? Uh, you can find me uh, at my website, um, tristanpalmgren.com, uh, T-R-I-S-T-A-N-P-A-L-M-G-R-E-N. Um, you can find me on Twitter, although with... Um, if this upcoming um, per, uh, upcoming purchase um, by uh, by he who shall not be named um, uh, it, it happens, I will probably not be on Twitter very much, or um, even I've been trying to to pull back from that, um, uh, and will do so. Will do so even more um, if not leave the platform entirely. If that if that if that. <laughs> that happens we're recording uh, you can still probably uh message or, or dm me on twitter if you would like to get in contact with me. we're recording this on october 9th on saturday night live just last night on october 8th they did a skit where uh bow and yang is hosting a game show where the mock contestants are like the news doesn't affect me i'm great and he's like well let me just give you some news and let's see how long it takes you to lose your shit and for a lot of the for a lot of the contestants he'll give like multiple facts and like they're slowly losing their cool until they lose it. And then he gets to he gets to Keenan Thompson's character and Keenan's like, nothing you say can affect me. And uh, <laughs> and Bo and Yang goes, well, Elon Musk. And he's like, oh, fuck that guy. I can't handle this anymore. <laughs> he storms like this. All it took was the name of Elon Musk to <laughs> drive him over the edge. <laughs> Understandable. It made me laugh very hard. Uh, <laughs> all right. As we close, my uh, my name is Chad Anderson. You can find me online at Graymalkin PP, like podcast on Twitter or Graymalkin underscore land on Instagram. I keep my own social media private because I've got kiddos. Uh, but Tristan, you're welcome to add me on, <laughs> on uh, private social media. Uh, our next, um, our next uh, Patreon episode is going to feature the 
wonderful and tragic story of the family of Jean Grey, uh, uh, starring our mutual friend Tristan Carey Harris is coming back to join me. And I've got some great stuff. Uh, the Patreon schedule is booked all the way into February, which is wonderful. And the podcast, uh, which is slowing down in the new year, which is a good thing because I'm very busy. But we have amazing things ahead. Our next episode, right after we release this, is going to feature uh, the artist uh, Andrew Drillin, uh, uh, as well as Demanda Martini and Juan Ponce is coming back. And we're going to be looking at the uh, X-Men, excuse me, Uncanny X-Men minus one, which uh, is a crazy story about the Trask family and the time traveling Madam Sanctity. <laughs> we'll get mm. there. <laughs> Tristan, what a joy to spend this time with you today. Thank you for your time and talents. And uh, I can't wait to have you back on soon. Thank you. All right, my friend, we'll see you guys back here next time. Thanks.